Hi, this is Jackson Greenberg, and you're listening to the Sound Architect Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Sound Architect Podcast. I am your host, Sam Hughes, and as you just heard, today I'm joined by composer Jackson Greenberg. Thanks for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. All things considered, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's very strange times, isn't it? It's an absolute pleasure to have you as well. Thanks. So before we discuss your recent projects, I just wanted to ask, how did your journey into music composition begin? I grew up in Philadelphia on the East Coast of the US and um, Philly is and has always been a big jazz scene. So I played a lot of jazz growing up and oh, nice. thought that was going to be my path. And uh, then kind of towards the end of high school, I was asked by uh, the drama teacher to write some background music for her plays. Um, something just clicked within me that I was like, this is this is what I'm meant to be doing, not not performing jazz, kind of supplying music for drama and from that point on, and I just knew that what I wanted to do, knew I, knew I wanted to work in film. Nice. And what instruments did you play? I played a lot of piano and drums, but was pretty close to pursuing a degree in jazz vibraphone performance. So, I Oh, think, wow. That's interesting. Yeah, it's pretty unique, and um, hence why I use a lot of mallet percussion on my scores now. Okay, awesome. And one of your most recent works is AKA Jane Rowe, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So did you use any of that kind of jazz history there to influence your, your scores today? You said now that you, you uh, use the kind of mallet technique in your scores, but did anything else from jazz kind of rub off on you? Yeah, I think, well, jazz was a good kind of feeder into film scoring because the way that I write is, is just kind of watching the picture and then starting to improvise with the various instruments in my studio. And sometimes that involves other musicians that are there with me, but it's... Um, it's tr I try and just record kind of musical thoughts and see if anything sticks to the picture. So I think just being comfortable improvising and um, trying to come up with ideas on the fly has influenced all my music, all my scores. And it must help with thinking outside of the box because, you know, jazz is known for not sticking to the rules all the time. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, despite having eventually studied music theory and music composition and um, some of that stuff, I guess, gets ingrained with you, but... You know, if my composition professors listen to any of my scores now, they'd probably fail me for <laughs> all the parallel fifths and parallel octaves that that I use with my left hand. But yeah, I, I think just being able to forget about those rules and forget about how other people score films and just figure out what's best for the film is, is the job. You know, there's yeah, that's the only rule that really matters is getting getting something good to picture. And I don't know about you, but I find it seems to come in waves. So like um, I play guitar myself and I, and I write music now and again. Um, and I find that you kind of get stuck in the way again. Like you, you kind of start off not being restricted by the boundaries because you don't really know them all yet. Yeah. And then as you learn, you sort of sit into these patterns because they work. And then you go, hang on a minute, I need to kind of forget a lot of what I've learned and then kind of start again. <laughs> yeah. And well, especially when you're doing like multiple projects in a row, I think it's really easy to use the same instruments or use the things that are being approved or the things that di different directors are liking. But I try and challenge myself to, to do something a little bit different, at least on, on every film to make it unique. And, um, it's hard sometimes to kind of step away from the things that are working and try and find something new. 
Well, it's difficult, isn't it? When you get good at certain things, they become nice to do because you're good at them and you know that they work. So it's really hard to kind of resist that and be like, actually, let's try something I'm not as good at or don't know as much about and go that way. (laughs) Yeah, it takes a certain type of director that trusts you and has patience and is willing to kind of let you fail in, in that pursuit of doing something new. Yeah, definitely. So with AKA Jane Rowe then, how did you first get involved? Was it a pitch or did they hear some of your previous work? They were using uh, my score for City of Ghosts uh, as their temp music and just reached out through oh, that's my website. Great. Yeah, it was ideal. <laughs> <laughs> One of those moments where they're like, oh, we've got some temp music and you're like, oh, who's this guy? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, wait, that's me. I recognize that. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot easier to replace yourself than some Hans Zimmer or John Williams tracks. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, And how did you like, what was the brief like that they gave you? What were you given to work with when you were presented? Um, Let me think back. I think, I think it was a super rough cut of the film. Um, And I was able to sit down and watch it. And as you said, you know, a lot of the movie had my music in it already. That must have been weird at the same time. Like, yeah, I mean, the weird part of it was that the music was written for a documentary about ISIS and terrorism oh, wow. in Syria, and here it is being used in, you know, aka Jane Roe about one woman's life in America. Um, so, I mean, that was interesting to see how that worked, because I thought the music worked well, and it was trying to figure out why that worked. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how it's so subjective, right? Where you write it for a specific reason, but then somehow it can still sort of be applied to other things. Well, especially that score was created all using Syrian musicians and Middle Eastern instruments. And um, it was cool to see that we had used them in a way that could translate to a film that wasn't about that region. Yeah, that's cool. That's interesting, actually, that it was all Middle Eastern instruments, but still worked with this one. Well, they had been run through like guitar amps and reverb pedals and reversed and manipulated to the point that... Ah, nice. Yeah, you could barely tell it was those instruments at all on some cues. Oh, that's cool. Um, and so how did you begin on AKJ and Row? Where did you start? Uh, I started, but I was watching Interstellar in my house and it was really late at night. And for some reason that I had seen the rough cut of, of AK and Jane Rowe. And I knew that for some reason, the character reminded me of my grandmother who's no longer with us. And there was something about watching Interstellar in that movie that just kind of set off this emotional chain reaction. And I just went to the piano in my house after the movie and sat down and and wrote a little theme that I recorded on my iPhone that kind of became the main theme of the movie after that. Oh, wow. So it's quite um, a personal investment in this score as well then. I always try and find my way in somehow. On the projects that I really care about and really matter to me, I, I try and find a way that I'm able to emotionally connect, at least in the beginning, to try and capture some initial idea. And how did you decide what your instrumentation was going to end up being? I think, you know, I I play a lot of instruments, some of them not very well, and some of them a little bit better and have a lot of instruments in my studio. And I always start with those, just the nature of how I write at the beginning. And sometimes I I have an idea where I want to bring in someone who plays a different instrument to help me in that initial process. But on this film, the, the instruments that I had in my studio were just working and there was something about the vibraphone and the different mallets um, and that kind of brush on a ride cymbal and you know alluding back to that jazz background that that just seemed to work with the with the footage in the beginning so it was it or it developed very organically I didn't really sit down and think like oh these are the instruments I want to use it was just 
they kind of revealed themselves in the process of writing. And it sounds like you had quite a bit of freedom there then. Yeah, definitely. I think there was an important, you know, I was getting some approvals on some cues and, and then Nicholas and Shami, the producer and the director came out to LA for a week and we all worked together in my studio. And, you know, that can be hit or miss with different directors, whether you want them in your space while you're creating. I usually don't, but yeah. <laughs> I think just because this was such a challenging film and they had been living with it for so long, it was, it really fast tracked it to have it, have them sitting there and be able to respond to things I was writing in the moment. I mean, it was incredibly stressful and, um, exhausting I don't think I would do it again but in this case it it helped a lot yeah well sometimes it can kind of inspire you with the the limitations that it brings right yeah definitely definitely and what would you say was your like proudest moment or like a big highlight for you when working on the project it doesn't have to be when working on the score but it could have been like when watching the final thing and like hearing your music which were you bit which bit were you most like yeah we I nailed that one that was that was a good moment (laughs) well I think just I was in my studio working on another project and I got a New York Times alert about a piece of information that had been revealed in the movie. So it just felt, I don't know, some of these projects like come and go and you, you wonder if they're really, these documentaries are making any impact. But to have a piece of news be breaking and have it mean something to a lot of people, I think getting that alert on my phone out of the blue about this project uh, was really nice. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I can imagine because when you're on a project, it's very insular, isn't it? And you're just there kind of like focused on it. And you you never think too much about the impact it's going to have when it's released. You never know who's going to watch it. You never know who's going to talk about it or what's going to be said. So you kind of block it out. And then... Yeah, you can't think about that. It doesn't... It's not helpful in any way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you don't want to think about that when you're trying to write music at all. (laughs) And when it comes out, you just get these notifications. I can imagine it's kind of like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Well, it just, it kind of, when it slips into something that's like a part of your life, like, oh, what's, I'm writing in my studio, but oh, I got to, there's some news. And then it, you know, it happens to be this project that you finished scoring a year before. It's, it was, it was a nice surprise. Yeah. And that's the upside to the, the kind of timelines, isn't it? That, you know, it takes so long that you almost forget and you actually do kind of make yourself forget. And then it comes out and you hear all this stuff and you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I remember I did that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you forget all the pieces of it that you hated all the parts of your music that you didn't think were good all of the bad moments are gone (laughs) yeah and you're like oh yeah that's actually not as bad as i remembered well speaking of news you also did the netflix explained theme didn't you which kind of went viral yeah it's crazy still still is crazy yeah like it was something like over two million streams or something like that must have been a bit surreal as well Still is. Yeah, definitely. To have like a a 30 second to a minute theme song for a new show on Netflix kind of take on a life of its own as a song that people want to listen to um, is surreal. Yeah. Have you um, found any remixes that have been some quite cool homages and stuff? Uh, There's someone on YouTube that repeated it so that it plays constantly for an hour. And that has like a surprising number of views, which is incredible to me. (laughs) Oh, no, that's cool. I think if I had to listen to that song for an hour, I might never write music again. Well, it's under a minute, right? Uh, I released like a a three minute extended version that's like more of in line with like the form of a pop song. Okay. That version that they were in. And that's the version that's getting the most play, I think, on Spotify, etc. Right. That's good, at least then. It's not the same 30 seconds looped for an hour. No. And then there's funny things on Twitter of like people like playing the hi-hat along with it. And, you know, it's just it's 
it's yeah it's one of those things that has absolutely no explanation of why it is what it is <laughs> yeah it must feel like that when you write so much music as well and you're like what what did i do with this one why why this one like <laughs> well i think i have friends in la that write a lot of pop music and and they have their finger on the pulse of like what people are liking and what and that's just a completely different skill set and something i have no interest in spending time thinking about so for me it, I'm just trying to amuse myself in the studio. And when it turns out that other people resonate with it, I'm happy. I'm really happy. And But the times where I've tried to figure out why that is and incorporate it into another piece have not gone well. So it's like, <laughs> you know, I might as well just stick to what I was doing then, which is just um, focusing on what I can control and what makes me happy and satisfied as a listener. Well, it's kind of the curse of creativity, isn't it? Where you just kind of toil away on whatever you're working on and you just create and create and create and then something does really well and you're like, oh, I should try and do that again and capture what I did. And you're like, well, tough. Like you can't really capture and bottle what you did. It's just going to happen or not happen at some point if you carry on just writing music and being creative, right? Yeah, I just, I don't, I think if if you follow that line of thinking, you get further away from from the reason that, you wanted to create in the first place it's like as you know i'm cr i'm creating to express myself and and to um tell stories and to to express emotions through music and help these films i'm not creating for some sort of out outward external validation so i think once you start thinking about it in that way it really pulls you from how much fun it is in the first place and starts to become like other types of jobs that we've all been trying to avoid yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, your your experience in documentaries is quite extensive. Like, is that intentional or is that just kind of how the work snowballed? Like, you just kept getting documentary work. I got really lucky that my first film score was for Cartel Land, which did really well and um, has led to a ton more work in documentary. And, yeah, it's just kind of how it shook out. I really enjoy it. I really... Documentary filmmakers are, are great to work with. And I've had the privilege of working on some really interesting stories and working with some really interesting people. And I would love to work on other projects that are not documentary, but at the moment I, I feel very creatively and professionally satisfied. So we'll, we'll see where things go, but yeah, it definitely wasn't some grand design. And I think anyone who's a film composer or, or otherwise, or doing another job in LA or Hollywood who says that they sat down and, and designed their career and it unfolded exactly how they wanted is lying to you. <laughs> yeah, of course. And I was always curious because it's one of those things where, you know, we are all aware of documentaries. We're very well aware of them. But no one really kind of sits there and goes, man, I wish I could write music for a documentary or, you know, unless they're really into documentary filmmaking, I don't think. Yeah, I think that's true. But I think that the documentaries within the last 10 years in particular have definitely pushed towards more towards the cinematic and that's extended yeah, to the music so. too where um i've heard about some of my music from cartel land and other things being tempted into non-documentaries and that makes me happy as well that it translates across those those lines yeah definitely so what would you say you've learned musically from working on so many documentaries what has being in the world of documentaries for quite a while taught you that's a really good question i think you know the biggest challenge with music for documentary is trying to write music that is emotionally present and moving, but without um, making people feel like they're being manipulated. Right, yeah. I think you have 
you know, so, and for me musically, that's, that's just taking the form of kind of writing and then taking a step back and trying to watch the, the movie with music from the perspective of, of someone who's seeing it for the first time. So I don't know, maybe the biggest thing I've learned from writing music for documentaries is, is kind of how to, how to find that emotion within kind of a very confined set of notes or harmonies and keeping things simple while still, still maintaining some sort of emotional through line. And do you have to kind of switch off to the content a lot while scoring a documentary? Because some of it can be quite powerful, can't it? And if you're, do you have to kind of ignore how many times you're watching these things and just focus on the music, but also still let it in so you can tap into that emotional side? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've worked on some projects with some very graphic, violent things and other things yeah. that are about people who are, are really suffering. You know, I did a TV series for Netflix called Afflicted about people with chronic illness. And I, yeah, there there's a part of you that just, it becomes like a job at some point. You know, I think, at the like I said, at the beginning, you try and capture a lot of that emotion and you, you're aware of the emotion. But there's, you know, after two months of working on a TV series about that, it's you, you kind of have to shut off a part of you while you're working on it, or at least try to. Yeah, I can imagine. It must be tough as well. Like like you say, when it's um, really graphic or really um, kind of emotional journey, like you must get desensitized to it. But then I suppose it's like you say, it's just like a job. You go in, you have to kind of put it to the back burner and then you deal with stuff like that outside of work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I have friends who are doctors that are dealing with people dying in hospitals every day. And then you know, that it's good to maintain some sort of perspective with that. And at the end of the day, just remember that, you know, we're working in music and film and trying to tell stories. And it's a little bit different from a lot of other things that are going on in the world. Yeah, definitely. So where would you say your main inspiration comes from musically? Where, where would you draw most of your inspiration from? Mm, nature. I think camping and, and being around the ocean or trees or getting away from other humans or, or technology and just kind of sitting and listening to the wind or listening to the birds and looking at the vistas. And that I think those are the times when I have the most ideas, musical ideas pop into my head. Um, but also from a lot of other music, you know. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And other types of art. And I just that feeling that I get in nature and camping of like connecting to something other than yourself, which you get, I get, I think when you listen to your, your favorite music live or you see a great movie that makes your skin tingle, it's just trying to find those moments and hope that if enough of them accumulate, it'll translate into when I sit down to write. Yeah. And do you have any kind of like techniques or kind of methods for when you're stuck? You know, because sometimes you're on such a tight deadline and, you know, we all know how it is when they when it's trying to force you to be creative in such a short time span can sometimes force you into this kind of blocked area. And like, do you have any techniques or methods that you use to kind of get the creativity flowing again? Yeah, definitely. I think two things that have been really useful for me and one is technology, you know, like trying to use technology, whether it's like a synthesizer or a guitar pedal or something to create an aspect of randomness in the music. Yeah. Um, I know, you know, I've taken like pieces that I've written 10 years ago and run them through a guitar pedal that I don't really know how to use. And there's something about removing yourself from the equation and, and being like, okay, well, I'm not 
this is in the guitar pedals hands. This is not about me. This is not my ego. And, and just kind of allowing something random to be some sort of inspiration. And then the other technique is collaboration. Like I said, with jazz, like getting other musicians in the studio and just kind of forgetting about the picture and forgetting about the deadline and writing and, and just trying to have some sort of conversation musically and, and spark some ideas between collaboration. Yeah, and do you have any sort of favorite happy accidents that have happened throughout composing where you've been like, okay, I'm just going to mess around and see what happens here, and then you go, wow, okay, yeah, that's going in. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I, I studied composition, which had nothing to do with movies, and wrote a string quartet and was kind of on that path for a while. And, you know, as things start to pile up with film and TV work, I had gotten away from that a little bit. Um, but, then one day I was using this program called Paul Stretch where you put a piece of your music in and oh, it yeah, it's stretches great. it out and it becomes this kind of like alien, ethereal thing. And most of the times when I put things in there, you know, maybe there's like a 30-second snippet that feels like I could use it in another piece, but it never feels like a cohesive thing. And one day I ran something in there and just sat back and listened and it ended and I realized that I had been listening for 15 minutes and it oh wow like <laughs> finished piece of music that someone else had written and um so then over the course of two years i took that random audio file and orchestrated a symphony orchestra around it and had the amazing opportunity to record it with the slovakian national orchestra that's amazing um, and it was kind of the first thing in the last five years that crossed that threshold of this feels like an expression of ideas or an expression of my musical self that that feels that I feel comfortable putting out into the world as as an artist, as my my own name, musician away from film and TV. Yeah, that's super cool. What was that? Just a musical project of your own, then? Yeah, self so, uh, released on um, Ravello Records, and it's available on all streaming services and Amazon, etc. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Okay, so I have one last question for you, which is either a, a mediumly long question or very very short in a lot of cases because you can be under NDAs and things. So. What other projects do you have coming soon that you can tell us about? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the one that I'm doing right now, I am under an NDA, but the one that I just finished um, is really exciting. It's one of my favorite things I've ever worked on is a 40-minute a documentary for Netflix about um, a deaf high school American football team. Um, and so because it's at a deaf high school, there's there's almost no talking, maybe 10 seconds of talking in 40 minutes. So there's music in the whole film, music and sound effects and, and American sign language subtitles. So to work on a project that relies so heavily on music and, and also to have, be having conversations with characters from the movie about what it's like to be deaf and how they experience music. And there's scenes in the movie where they're dancing and listening to music and talking to them about which frequencies they can hear and how music resonates with them. And then trying to incorporate that into the score was just a very fulfilling project creatively and personally and um, selfishly as a composer to have a project that features music so heavily like that. It's really exciting to me and I'm really excited for that to come out into the world. And it also happens to be just a beautiful, incredible film. So I'm really excited for that project. It will be on Netflix. When is it coming out? Do you know, or do, is it TBC? Uh, sometime I would say like late spring next year. Okay. Awesome. And my final question is sometimes the hardest one if you could work on anything, anything at all, what would be your dream project? Yeah, I mean, I'm such a fan of um, science fiction and 
movies like Arrival or the the most recent Blade Runner. So I think, let's say, the new Dune that's coming out or something along that lines where it's like science fiction but grounded in kind of the grittiness of our reality. Yeah. And then the other answer would be to have the opportunity to write something away from, from film and TV again for another symphony orchestra, just that experience of working with that many musicians and hearing something that you've worked on for so long come to life was just so fulfilling. And I really hope I have the opportunity to do that again in my career. Yeah. Awesome. That sounds really, really cool. Well, I have to say Jackson, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I hope you'll join us again sometime in the future. I'd love to. Yeah. Thanks so much. Awesome. And we look forward to your projects coming out next year. Cheers. this is sam thanks very much for listening to the sound architect podcast today i hope you enjoyed this episode if so there are many ways you can support the show which is incredibly appreciated obviously there's the financial way where you can support us on patreon which is patreon.com forward slash sound design uk however there are many other ways which also help such as liking subscribing reviewing commenting and sharing via whatever channel you listen on Even a like or share on social media really, really helps. So thanks so much for your support already. It really is a work of passion for me and I'd love to keep sharing the knowledge from all these talented and wonderful people. Thanks again and catch you on the next episode. Hey, this is Christian from a Sound Effect podcast. In our latest episode, you will hear about designing sound for Netflix series The Crown and composing music for The Haunting of Blind Manor. Check it out at soundeffect.com forward slash podcast. Hey everybody, this is Tim from Tone Menders. We have a new episode out featuring an extended interview with legendary production sound mixer John Pritchett. John has worked on projects from Dirty Dancing to Avengers Endgame and just about everything in between. He has seen it all and has the stories to prove it. To take a listen, head over to ToneMendersPodcast.com or search Tone Menders through your podcast app.